0: Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Etuin, and on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes Sir Terry Pratchett's work both timely and timeless. So grab your second best scythe, make sure you feed Binky, and join us on our journey through Mort and the complete discography. I am Aaron, Assistant Royal Recognizer.
1: I'm Anna, the Organizer
2: of Biographies.
3: I am Justin, Flipper of Hourglasses.
2: I am Minna, Lady of the Breakfast Nook.
0: So, Mort is the fourth book in the Discworld series. Published, let's get some nice foley in there. Uh, published in 1987. And reprinted several times because this was a very popular book. In this book, we can also call it Death Takes an Apprentice and a Holiday. We're first introduced to Mort, a young man full of unrealized potential. Uh, his father first unsuccessfully attempts to pawn him off on his brother uh, and then through an apprenticeship there. This process shows us that while Mort isn't particularly skilled at much, he possesses an ironclad stubbornness as he refuses to leave the hiring fair well after everyone else has been hired or given up, where, on the stroke of midnight, a rider on a pale horse arrives. This, of course, is our good friend Death, who immediately slips on a frozen puddle, and also... Uh, we see the first instance of the magic that death wraps himself in, which is the, uh, that can't be right, human's ability to not see what's really there when it doesn't gel with their perspective on reality, which I think is probably the button that we want to lean on.
1: One might even call it headology.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, an advanced headology. Uh, Upon being assured that being dead is not, in fact, a prerequisite to being death, Mort is taken on as death's apprentice uh, for the first indeterminate period of time, because time doesn't really work in death's domain. Um, This seems to mostly be stable work, uh, because even though time doesn't work, the biology of Binky the uh, warhorse does. Um, We also meet the requisite daughter of the master, Isabel, uh, the vaguely servant-shaped Albert, Um, and the various intricacies and unique pieces of death's domain. Uh, This is the realm of death, of course, not to be confused with where the dead go, but uh, a sort of world of semi-normalcy, sort of, that uh, death has constructed around himself, which lie next to time and in the neighborhood of space. Eventually, uh, Mort graduates from stable work and is brought along by Death on the so-called duty. Uh, We learn that Death comes to us all, but capital D Death shows up in person for key figures. And of course, certain individuals merit the sword instead of the scythe. Uh, Death's powers are explored as well, including but not limited to always being on time, Uh, not being bound to the rules of physical boundaries, uh, that sort of thing. Mort, during one of the uh, reapings, uh, attempts to interfere. Uh, this is the assassination of the king of Stolat, uh, and learns that people's fates are in the hands of the gods, and death is just part of the process, not killing so much as just being there to collect. Eventually, uh, this all goes well, and uh, Mort gets to fly solo, and we immediately see all sorts of exceptions to the so-called rules. An elderly witch coaches Mort through her own death. A poorly disguised Dalai Lama get knockoff gets reincarnated, uh, which confuses the heck out of Mort, but makes sense. Uh, this sort of all shows this idea that people go where they think they deserve to go um, when they die, which is handy when you have a disc full of gods and and competing beliefs uh, when everybody's right, that just sort of make things easier. Uh, and then we return to Stolat, where uh, an assassin uh, is about to end the life of Princess Kelly, um, the daughter of the recently deceased king. Um, Mort kind of has a thing for Princess Kelly, maybe, and um, kills the assassin.
2: <laughs> maybe. He sees her and it's lust at first I sight. Mean, he's a teenage boy.
0: So yeah, he kills the assassin instead of just being there to facilitate the end of Princess Kelly's life, um, which is a problem. So in parallel tracks, uh, Mort fails to fess up to this fuck up, uh, and Princess Kelly starts to experience oddities like maids randomly weeping, funereal food being served, service order not being observed, uh, people not really noticing that she's there which is strange for you know the heir apparent she eventually pulls a prince and the pauper and visits cutwell the local wizard who we previously saw playing a bit part explaining to mort that it was sort of maybe possible to walk through walls because mort was very confused by this fact uh cutwell kind of figures out that the world thinks she's dead but reality is all wibbly
2: It's not just that the world thinks she's dead. She is dead. Her lifeline says she's dead. All of her fortunes say she's dead. She got the death card three times in a normal Karak deck. Is it Karak? How do they say it in Discworld?
0: There are, in fact, printable cards you can get if we ever want to do a reading. Uh, In the meantime, death goes fishing. Mort goes out on the, the duty again and discovers that a steadily collapsing dome of reality is kind of constricting around Stolat. And he rushes to visit the princess. Uh, Oh yeah, Cutwell's there too. uh, Who is now the royal... As the royal recognizer. Yes, the royal recognizer because death... uh, Because wizards can see things beyond the veil of reality. uh, Or something.
2: Which means he's the only one who can really, like, see Kelly most of the time. Yeah, he doesn't
3: forget that she's there. And his job seems to be a lot of Reminding people that she is alive.
1: And also putting up posters. Yes, putting up posters. And arranging a
0: coronation.
2: Yeah, there's criers during the day and posters and bright lights at night.
0: Uh, there's also some shenanigans with crossbows and uh, more sort of not noticing that he's gesturing through columns and things like that. We also discover, uh, because of one of Cutwell's uh, texts, that Albert, the... Vaguely servant-shaped person, and in death's domain is, uh, in fact, Alberto malik the first chancellor of Unseen University, who disappeared under mysterious circumstances while performing the rite of Ashkent backwards. We also get a through line of Death going to a party at the Patricians, doing a conga line. He learns about gambling in the Shades. uh He also gets thoroughly drunk, only because he wants because to Because he be. wants to be. Yes.
1: And that scene also has a beautiful reference to the "One More for My Baby" song. Right.
2: What? Because the I bartender
1: says it's quarter to three.
2: I don't know. One more for my baby.
1: I will not sing it here. Should we have but an outside
2: references section? This is just a sidebar. There's so many. I know. Yeah. That's fair.
1: You can cut the whole introduction <laughs> if you want, but I find it fun. That was just one of those, like, goddammit Terry moments.
0: Mort returns to Death's Domain trying to figure out a way to save uh, Princess Kelly because he has a thing for her. And Isabelle has a deep and abiding love of uh, romance novels, a.k.a. these biographies that are writing themselves of, I guess, 16-year-olds who die traumatically
2: lots of Juliet's Romeo
1: Romeo and Juliet style little
3: faded lovers
0: uh we also learned that she's been 16 for something like 32 36 years 35 years 35 years uh which is a long time to be a teenager oh I mean uh, Ugh. I I had One, enough of being 16 when I was 16 so yeah she know.
2: said the first year was bad enough
0: <laughs> yeah um They go deep into the biography stacks uh, and uh, confront Albert um, after dropping part of his own biography on his head, uh, which was a very funny bit.
2: Oh my god, that whole bit was great.
0: Yeah. Who confirms that he is, in fact, Alberto and also refuses to help them. Uh, In the meantime, Death gets a job. Uh, And then we learn that uh, because Death isn't returning, we learn that things are going to go all pear-shaped if somebody doesn't do death's job uh we also learned that isabel can read the mysterious nodes that determine what death needs to do next
1: you would think that death would have trained Mort in that before he like went off to be a fry cook
0: i mean i don't think he expected to yeah be that human
2: there's indications that he's becoming less death the more mm-hmm. time he spends an egg more pork and i don't think he planned on that
3: yeah, it definitely feels like that as Mort was doing more of the duty and Death was doing more exploring, that, the, that there was a, it was an unconscious switch. Yeah, baby.
2: like when he tried to get the job, he's like, I can walk through walls. Can't walk through walls. Also experiencing embarrassment.
3: I also think that... Um, I don't think maybe Death didn't know that was going yeah, to happen. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think
0: Death did. I, I think that Death... Death started learning about humans thanks to that card, uh, the, the bridge game that uh, he plays with Two Flower.
1: Well, this is interesting though because based on the timeline, Albert has been yeah. living with him for a thousand years,
2: and Isabel is probably around yeah. before Two Flower. If Rincewind's like still kicking around, unseen university, right?
0: Yeah. So this might be um, this might be a retcon. Of some sort.
2: I I think so. Or just...
0: Or, you know, death doesn't really play by time rules.
2: Well, and also I doubt Isabel knows card games and such, you know? Right. Like, he probably doesn't learn a lot about humans from a baby human that he raised himself. And Albert's not trying to share.
1: And he's sort of also oddly distanced from both Albert and Isabel.
0: He, he does a lot of things because he thinks he should be doing them. Eventually, Mort and Isabel talk Alberto into going back into the real world because if death doesn't come back, things might just not go very well. And he appears in a flash of you know magical smoke at uh, Unseen University and uh, gathers the troops to perform the rite of Ashkent, which is the, um, magical ritual that allows wizards to summon and bind death. Uh, Mort is speaking more and more in all caps and without quotation marks. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a scene where Mort is performing the, the duty, not on anybody particularly significant, a, a, uh, servant, it, well, we'll dive into this in Pyramids, the summoning ritual is being performed and Mort is being yanked through uh, instead of instead of death. And Isabel eventually just clocks him and knocks the death out of him.
2: <laughs>
0: that was a good scene.
2: Yeah. That was a good scene.
0: Um, death disappears from Hagra's uh, house of coronary carnage and um... <laughs>
2: Know the real name.
0: Oh, yeah. What is the real name?
2: I think it's the House of Ribs.
0: House of Ribs? Right. Hagro's yeah. House of Ribs. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't remember <laughs> them either, so I called it the House of Cornelius. No, no, no. It
2: Cornage. was a good, it was a good, funny yeah, name for it. I was just like, they don't know what it is.
0: Where Death had been um, performing admirably as a uh, short order cook, um, especially because he didn't, you know, follow the rules of time, even though he's slowly not becoming Death anymore. Death's a little bit. Pissed off because Albert almost tries to destroy death. Rincewind fails to give Albert his staff back for some unclear reason, probably having to do with Rincewind's understanding that things can go worse than they are currently are.
1: Through personal experience.
0: Through through heavy personal experience. We cut to Morton Isabel. Uh, heading to Kelly's palace where the princess and Cutwell have organized a coronation ceremony in the hopes that that might like, you know, reassert the new reality. Uh, But the, the wave of reality is constricting and constricting and constricting. They save Kelly and Cutwell from being destroyed with the alternate reality by yanking them all into death's domain. Uh, Death is, A little bit pissed off, uh, a little bit more angry, because, you know, Mort is doing exactly the wrong thing by not killing people, not taking the souls of people who are dying. There's a bit of a fight. Death does win.
2: By there's a little bit of a fight, we mean that Mort steps up and decides to duel death for the position of death, apparently? In order to save his friends, yeah,
0: <laughs> Mort, at the moment that that Death has, defeats him, makes Death laugh, and Death decides to spare Mort's life and send him back to the disk where, um, reality gets tweaked so that kelly rules in place of the duke who i didn't mention the duke before (laughs) so that kelly rules in place of the person who's trying to murder her who was accidentally killed during the duel when uh, death shoulder checked one of uh a lifetimer uh and smashed it and that happened
1: you might want to clarify that lifetimer is an hourglass
0: i got 20 minutes into this and failed to say any of that yeah read the book it's a good book (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, we'll go back to the history, like, Kelly's history, and mm-hmm. probably this scene at the end, too. Yeah. Because... Because
1: there's a lot to talk about with yeah. this scene.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: It's such a good scene. Oh, my God. Anyway, yes. Uh, Kelly is ruling as queen.
0: Martin Isabel. Yeah. Morton Isabel cut. get married after doing a will-they-won't-they-all book. Yep. Um most more more
2: most of the book i feel like they were like are they yeah, ever well, going to be yeah. friends
0: and i it's guess really cutwell is sort of a prince not prince regent what's prince consort, consort. basically prince consort. uh we'll we'll get into wizards and sex later
1: i also i also appreciated that they death mentions that he's surprised that Mort ended up with isabel rather than kelly mm-hmm. And there's this line that I love of, "Well, we all sat down together and decided it yes! was better this way," <laughs> which I think we're going to talk about later. We yes! will come
2: back to this. We are coming. Back. There is a segment <laughs> for this. To, <laughs> we
3: are going to annoy Aaron the hell out with the segment.
2: Um,
0: yeah, uh, yes. and then That's we creepy. we end with. Death presenting Mort with a pearl that is the alternate reality that he accidentally created, which might in fact be the next universe, which is a bit of a heavy load. So yeah, read the book. It's a good book.
3: It is. Gosh, yeah.
0: So, uh, personae. Persona, we've got Mort, we've got (sighs) Death. we've got Isabel, we've got Albert, we've got Princess Kelly, we've got Cutwell... We've got the duke uh, who is the typical scheming duke who had the king killed and is trying to kill Princess Kelly.
1: We have Binky the horse.
0: We have Binky the horse, an extremely important character. Mm
1: -hmm. We also have Rincewind again.
0: Yeah, Rincewind shows up.
3: Yeah. In a cameo,
1: but Mm -hmm. a very important cameo.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Justin, how'd you like the book?
3: So, I think I'm actually going to start with, like, so, I, I, as, as we talked about in our episode zero, um, it is impossible to exist in nerd spaces without exposure to Discworld, or at least in a lot of nerd spaces. And um, the first two books in which we've seen death, or we've seen uh, death in, we saw him in Color of Magic. Did yep. we see him in Life Fantasy? Yeah, the card game. Yes, right. Right. And I think he appears in, like, one throwaway line in uh, Equal Rights, though I could be very well remembering that wrong. He has not, like, sort of, like, come close to, like, what I have told people or or what people have told me. Like, oh, this is death. I I have a friend who, like, is in a continual reread of Discworld, and she was like, yeah, don't even bo- don't even bother remembering Death from Color of Magic, and this is the point where I'm like, holy shit, I am in love with this boy. He's
1: such a good character.
3: Um, in our outline, I just have bolded Big Dad. Energy. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think. I think that Terry, there's a reason that Terry returns to the the well of of death over and over and over again, because that like that outsider perspective that he found uh, with two flower, I think he really finds with death.
1: Sometimes the easiest way to explore humanity is through somebody who is not, in fact, human. I, I feel like death actually almost serves the same role as like data from Star Trek next generation of somebody who's not human, but, uh, desperately wants to be in some ways.
3: Yeah. I hadn't pieced that together initially. I hadn't made that du- like direct comparison But, God, that explains so much.
0: We haven't gotten, like, we we haven't actually gotten the anthropomorphic personification thing yet, have we? No. Okay.
2: No, he, that phrase is used
0: in this book. I couldn't remember. Oh,
2: we just haven't mentioned it in the podcast, I mean.
0: Right. Yeah, death is the first crystal example of the anthropomorphic personification, which he will delve more deeply into later in later books
3: Hogfather.
0: and small gods, which is another one of my favorites.
3: But the, the thing that immediately, like it just clicked for me with the character is death doesn't become a, um, doesn't become a like point of view character really until like the back third of the book, even through like walking through his domain and doing stuff. Walking through his domain, going through, like, his house and everything, you get, this isn't entirely a, the start point for this arc is not given to us at the start of this book. It's already happened. Death has made this world, he's become a parent already. And it is, um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, considering just that like we've already got he's already when you come into this novel already toying with things like he's made this world he likes doing things and learning about stuff and then you get a lot more of it and especially in the last third of this book where he just decides to go all in (laughs) and it's very it's very refreshing it's the exact same mood there maybe a little bit more funny and messy and dirty of, like, uh, Elementary Deer Data. Or yeah. uh, uh, Data's Day. Yeah, yeah,
1: Data's Day. Which is
3: one of my favorite Next Generation episodes.
0: I Minute mean, was this your it's first you know, read of, of Mort?
2: It was my first read of Mort. It's also, like, the first book in the chronological read that has, like, made me have, like, capital F Feelings. So that was good. Mm -hmm. For sure. I'm like, I know, like, Death is familiar to me by now. Wow, that was a sentence. I didn't mean it that way. Uh, (laughs) Like, that character in Discworld, because he is always hovering around the edges of Discworld. But it was fun to see him have a, like, fish-out-of-water adventure and also just see his whole thing close up.
1: I think we get a cameo from Death in almost every Discworld book, actually.
2: Yeah, like, he'll just be hovering so. around the edges. Like, somebody dies in the book, he'll show up for them. He's just sort of
1: omnipresent.
0: He shows up for important characters, and important characters often show up in the books.
2: And often often those important characters are, like, the random person who's getting killed by the plot happening. Like, that they don't specifically as a person matter that much, but, like, that's how it emphasizes the importance of the events that are happening in this book.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: We also learn that Death has a soft spot for kittens.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I will never get over the image of the short order cook with the kitchen door propped open so we can feed the kittens. Oh, that's so
3: good. I think one thing that is very clear uh, reading this book is that Terry just fucking loves writing Death. Like, that—that that is immediately, It's very clear. Just from, like, just how uh, this is so... Oh, uh, you're gonna hate me for this. How larger than life he is! He,
0: mm-hmm. he is, in fact, larger than life. Like he's he's more real than real.
3: Yeah, yeah. Which 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 I I think is something that we uh, see a couple times, or, or as, as a recurring theme through this book is realer than real.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's something that I definitely want to talk about at some point.
2: But also his like. His little, his sly sense of humor, even before he starts being all human, but like, fucking him at the patrician's party. It is fun to kick. It is fun to listen to loud music in hot rooms. I literally just put a note in my notes that said, me.
0: (laughs) God, is that a mood?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a book that, you know, we've we've talked in previous episodes about entry points into the Discworld universe. Uh, I really think that Mort is the first book we've encountered that I would actually recommend to people as an entry point into Discworld. Yeah, uh, it's you know, death is yeah. a major death is a a major character arc uh, across the books. There are all, at least six or seven death focused wow. books out of the forty one, and so. You know, following that thread, I think reading all of the death books is a very good way of really getting yourself hooked on Discworld and um, wanting to go back to the more complex ones like uh, Color or or like Fantastic.
1: Well, and it's also, I think, a good starting point because it is early chronologically. So it's not like you're jumping in completely in the middle. It still gives you an early starting point, but one where things have kind of already clicked. It's sort of like telling people if we. It's like if if we're going back to say Star Trek: Next Generation. It's like, well, just skip just skip the first half of the first season, and you'll be fine.
3: And which which I, I do find it funny. It's like just through, through just through this book is that we are. Uh, 40 minutes into recording here, and you know, we really haven't talked about the character whose name is in the <laughs> title.
2: I love him. I love Mort.
3: Which I, I think is, yeah, Mort is like for, for a movie with a show stealer or for a book with a show stealer like Death, Mort is actually a really good protagonist. Yeah. Like, I, I think he's he's definitely more relatable than Rincewind. Mm-hmm.
0: He grows and changes and learns and thinks and experiences um, as opposed to just sort of like having plot thrown at him. Mort, I mean, Mort causes problems, but he also tries to fix them as opposed to just being like, okay, well, I'm going to run to the counterweight continent now.
1: I think, I think that Terry actually was particularly good at writing teens. Um, mm-hmm. Like that that there's a bunch of teenage characters that he actually writes quite well, which is, I think, I think unusual in a non-YA author.
2: Mort feels like a classic. I've, I've seen Mort-like characters in other Terry, Pro- in other Discworld books. Like mm-hmm. the classic stubborn, very, very, like fairly clear in his identity, but just getting thrown around by the world and having to learn stuff about it. I feel like character. I
1: feel like Terry also likes the, um, is what buildings Roman or however the heck you pronounce that.
2: Yeah, that that word.
1: <laughs> the coming of age stories.
2: Yeah.
0: As well as exploring new, exploring sort of layers of Discworld lore through perspective characters, as opposed to just info dumping.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know having having a uh, young person is a great way to have someone who doesn't know everything about the world.
0: Mm-hmm. A young person who is, is explicitly curious
2: and explicitly inexperienced with like, right. Yeah. I, the innocence in disc world are always fun.
1: Also on the topic of things we like a book with actual pacing. What's that?
2: <laughs> oh my God.
3: Yeah. the the this book definitely like you can, it makes me feel like, it's definitely a lot more. Uh, it's definitely a lot more smooth than the first three we've read.
2: And like the alternating viewpoints, like were structured so well together that like they like kept pace with each other, and you didn't get bored. Or like you didn't when it switched viewpoints. I didn't go like no, no, no. But wait, I don't care about this one. I want to go back to the other one. Yeah, which can be hard.
0: It definitely like because I've read it so many times. It definitely almost gave me anxiety knowing what was coming. Because, <laughs> like you know, it does it does accelerate, you know, as yeah,
2: the, uh,
4: as
0: Very everything good. sort of start uh, as everything comes to a there's head. a deadline. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we need to have a bell for the all of the death puns.
2: Oh, that wasn't a pun on purpose. <laughs> I just meant midnight. She turns into a pumpkin,
0: or winks out of existence.
2: Y- you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, the, the bit with the, the elephant was.
4: Yeah.
2: Should we?
1: I was very happy uh, that the, the elephant got away unscathed, though.
2: Yes.
0: Just a minor flesh wound to its trunk. It was also sort of the, uh, you know, we, we've seen Ankh-Morpork uh, and this. I think we've seen the Street of the Small Gods um, described briefly, but. Seeing, you know, the fact that there are several hundred gods that this priest seems sees fit to uh, invoke. Um, oh. Over know.
2: 900, with more being discovered by research theologists.
3: Right. <laughs> research theologists. Okay, okay, are okay. Theologians? I don't know what game I can play a research theologist <laughs> in, but I want to play that game. Uh,
0: probably library or laundry files.
3: When we, play, when we play our Discworld game, I might play a research theologist then.
2: I hate that I said I mean, theologist. If, and we're we're just continuing the incorrect word. I think it's theologian.
0: If you if you just oh, believe be. really 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 hard.
2: Oh, that's hey, that's a perfect segue into the themes of the book.
3: <laughs> yeah, go us.
2: I
1: I thought that a major theme of it was actually to, to leave yourself open to creative solutions to problems, that the solution to the whole issue with the alternate reality and Kelly was to think outside of the box and to kind of shake off death death has to shake off his assumptions about the way that things are supposed to work. And I think also the idea that your actions can affect the world in ways that you don't anticipate, that you know, it's the classic time traveler's dilemma of, you know, that a small action can have big consequences. And I think that that's something that is kind of worth keeping in mind in general as people that i think often we feel like we're helpless and that nothing we ever do will make a difference but that we should all give ourselves more credit
3: Uh, mine is much less thoughtful please do not leave the fabric of reality with your goddamn intern (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so stressful Listen, listen, I don't care if you call him an apprentice or whatever, please put that man on the payroll if you are going to be, like, leaving him with a major part of reality. Please train this
2: man better if you're going to leave him with a major part of reality. Oh my god, this man has no training. I think I brought this up in another section, but this is just the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh gosh. But death. It has a lot of the same oh gosh, thing. Yes. Huh?
3: This is also, like my anxiety nightmare
2: well, sorcerer's apprentice is also like, my anxiety the situation
3: nightmare <laughs> this book is yeah it's just it's my anxiety nightmare of just like i have been left with a job that is way too important i need an adult oh shit i'm 29 i am an adult
2: i am the adult
0: i mean my my joke theme here is that death really really needed a holiday but um more seriously i think that through, the, the through line of all of death is basically like there's rules, but the rules are made up entirely of exceptions because all everybody goes to where they think they're going. The only, the whole, the only hard and fast rule is that uh, everything ends. When it ends is negotiable.
2: Because mm-hmm. time doesn't matter.
1: The rules are made up and time doesn't matter.
2: (laughs) There it is. There it is. For me, it's that the world is what you make of it. Sometimes literally. Like, so much of, like, the core, like, concepts in this book and, like, the the character changes in this book revolve around the fact that, like, like, so Mort, Mort spends most of the book uh, becoming more death-like, but it's, like, it's not because he is inherently, you know, death. It's that he's doing death's job and seeing from death's perspective, and that's fundamentally changing him as a person. Mm-hmm. And death has the same thing in reverse when he's going to go hang out with humans for a while. That he is trying to see things from the human point of view, and that's, you know, changing him. And also, like, with Kelly's story... um, So Kelly is a major turning point in history. Her death, rather, is a major turning point in history. The Duke of Stohelit was supposed to have her assassinated, and then when he took her throne, he would unite, like, the area. I don't... Like, two kingdoms? I don't remember yeah. the actual political situation there. But basically, he would unite the area, and, like, hundreds of years of peace would follow him, his role, even though he sucks. Now that, you know, Mort has saved Kelly, history is unraveling, and it's like this this whole story is about mort finding a way to make that history happen in a way that works for him like history it, this is supposed to be written in stone but it's not he sees something else and he tells a different story and that works out also with mort becoming death like he starts to like go through walls and things and i think one of the most interesting things about that is that like it mostly happens when he doesn't notice it's happening and isn't like consciously like perceiving the world. Oh yeah. Whereas when he like pays attention, oh, so good. It's solid.
3: <laughs> that that is that is one of my favorite tropes. Is just like characters whose powers work pretty much only unconsciously.
2: Yeah.
1: That also ties into something that I really liked was which was this notion of death and his blade and binky the horse and uh more and more mort being more real than the rest of reality um that you know it's not that mort is turning into a fantasy he's becoming dangerously real and that's and that's the reason why he's able to pass through walls and do things the way he can is that he's more real than everything else.
2: I I think Aaron proposed his theory that that observation has power and like can change the disc world <laughs> as like a bit, but no, it wasn't every a bit. book okay because every book just proves you more more right. <laughs> like this one, it's like <laughs> it feels like their perspective is literally like making them like because this world is is temporary and the things in it are temporary to them. They're like less real, and and I don't know. It's just really interesting to me that like their perspective change has so much power in what they can do.
0: So the 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 other major thing that that I think is important that the reason that Mort is acquiring more of death's powers isn't just because he's doing death's job, but also because death isn't doing death's job. So, mm-hmm. you know, Discworld and the world needs, needs death. Death is, is an essential part of, of life. You know, it's the period at the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like when we return to some of the very later books with death when when sir terry is starting to actually really wrestle with his mortality
1: we'll see a lot of this again in particular in hogfather which is probably mm-hmm. my absolute mm-hmm. favorite of all of the books
2: this this point just like the fact that there needs to be a death it almost it's so cool how this world is like aware of it it's like a world that's aware of being a story Yeah, And the story needs to get told. It will get told some way. It just needs to find a way to be told.
0: It's genre aware, yeah.
2: Like, the world itself is. Not even, like, Mm -hmm. the world building. The cosmology of the disc world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of almost like the the stuff that they talk about in, you know, this is a complete tangent, and I might delete this, but... um, you know, in in masks, they talk about how Halcyon City has whatever you need because if you didn't have it, it would be boring. So if you know you need a archaeology museum next to the docks, then there's an archaeology museum next to the docks, and maps are you know maps lie.
1: Well, I think that that's actually in general a a good a piece of good gemming and good st- like storytelling this like facilitation is mm-hmm. the the idea that well well there is now you know that that if if it makes something mm-hmm. more interesting or funny or increases the dramatic tension for something to happen then then that's what happens that it exists right.
3: there there's a minor minor thing i just want to go on here is that really all monarchs are pretty shit, <laughs> and this is acknowledged by death. Like, they're not. Most of them aren't great. Most of them are monsters, but they're all like, eh. And they're basically like, they've got a very steep bell curve. That's what we'll say here is that they're all pretty much the same, and. With Kelly, we get a lot of her like, or most of her character arc is just, "I don't want to be dead. I am going to be the fucking queen." But I mean, it, it's it's a lot of a lot of the 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 her plot is sort of. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. She comes from the she comes from the position of a spoiled noble, but by the end of the book, she has like, okay, if it's my destiny to like take the take over this timeline and sort of become the stabilizing force. She has three very good people who are helping her and sort of like keeping her, keeping her grounded. Yeah. Keeping her grounded.
2: Is Kelly the one who's going to stabilize the timeline or is that going to be the new Duke of Stohelit?
3: I
1: think it's all of them together. Valid.
2: Oh, I mean, for sure. Again, we will come back to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: well, and then Justin's going to lose his mind when we get to Hogfather.
4: <laughs> how hold dare on, you hold on.
3: I'm gonna look up the I'm gonna look up just the reading order for this series to figure out how much you're costing
2: <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me. Don't don't how we many books.
3: don't It is Book twenty. What? So this is a book we are going to be reading in approximately fifteen months. You fucking tease!
4: <laughs> no, Wait, don't don't no we don't we
1: see? I think I think isn't it soul music? You know what I'm
0: talking about, right?
2: Yeah, but
0: uh, but it's soul oh, music, you're right?
2: Soul music. When is soul music? Book sixteen. Fuck me! So we will be
3: recording that episode in December next year I fucking hate this
2: all right you fick
3: <laughs> read I faster justin I don't read faster fic. i listen we've made we've made the rule for this we i do not start reading the book until we finish the recording for the last book did we make fair. that rule well, thank
0: you for thank you for your service
3: <laughs> i i have made justin that justin made the rule ah, Fair. <laughs> For the bit <laughs> I listen, I may not like the bit, but I will be supremely dedicated to the bit.
2: This is very good where did we where are we are we We're in other main themes, okay, yeah,
3: somewhat
0: lost,
2: yeah that's just the way of things,
0: oh wait, actually um there there is a hint, Justin, did you read the last page? <sighs>
3: Gosh, you're asking me to actually remember things.
0: So I think it's very funny that, that a little bit of Terry's Britishness slips in in here and he can't avoid it. Because while I don't think there is a, a Christ on um, the Discworld, there apparently are christenings.
1: Of course. Mm.
0: But we're not going to go into any more detail about that. Uh <laughs> This is fun.
1: So I think you had something you wanted to say, Minna, in this zone.
2: I just want to say really quick, this was a Doctor Who episode, and I love it. (laughs) The whole saving somebody, but then that fucks everything up, and all of reality is tearing itself apart, and oh wait, but what if we can find a creative solution that takes compassion into account? My shit. Oh yeah, that's like
0: season one of Doctor Who, isn't it?
2: Yeah, oh, that's so many Doctor Who things. There's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole companion who her whole thing is the Eighth Doctor saved her when she was supposed to die in an airship crash, and like, the fucking universe starts to unravel. It's great. It's wonderful. Oh, no. <laughs> doctor Who audios are the best. You can oh, listen this, this to is, theirs. This is classic Who. Yeah. Uh, is Eight is classic. Yeah, it's it's the big finish audios. Okay. It might be Wilderness Year's Who, actually. I'm not sure. Either that or early New Who era. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. I love that kind of thing. So I was having the time of my life with the plot. Also, I really love the whole classic Terry Pratchett life in the world with like everything that's bad about it, everything that's good about it, everything that's human about it. So much better than Eternity, because Eternity is just fucking boring. But it was kind of fun to see that contrasted with like characters who do choose Eternity in Alfred and Death. Alfred because he prefers it, and Death because he's needed.
0: I love also how Death introduces Mort to Curry's.
2: <laughs> I know! Oh, yes. In a, for, the the moment where Death is more a man of the world than Mort is, right. Mort will cl- quickly surpass Death.
1: And Death himself is... It's fun how um, genre conscious death is, like that he's he's very aware of the whole, you know, apprentice Mary's daughter and takes over the family business trope. Like, like he, you know, like he <laughs> winks at Mort with the like, someday all of this could be yours. And
2: can I tell you my theory on this? He's genre-aware about this, because fiction is the only experience he has with this. He's just read a lot of fiction about what do you do if you were a single working man with a female child. I
1: feel like he's, it's sort of like the counterpart to Isabel, who only knows of romance because she read the, like, tragic teen romance biographies. Uh-huh. Of this, this immersion in tropes
2: yeah like he doesn't know how it's supposed to go so he's like looked it up and he's doing his best
1: and it gives us a good flip on the love at first sight trope as well yes uh because because mort doesn't end up with kelly despite spending the first like three quarters of the book fantasizing about her
2: like halfway through the book he and he and isabel literally have a conversation that's like i'm not gonna marry you oh good you're the last person i'd marry Yeah, the like, <laughs> and then from then on their friendship blossoms it's beautiful it's, i it's love the it like
1: i hate you well i hate you more conversation
2: i don't even think they hate each other that much i think they're just like insulting each other as like a almost a way to like vent the weirdness yeah and like from then on they're like they're like kind of like fighty friends it's very good I actually really enjoy their dynamic yeah
3: oh my gosh their dynamic is so (laughs) good like it's the it's that it's that two people two people who are are like okay this is very like it's a specific like genre thing that I love where it's like two people who are smart like, just sort of, like, feeling each other out and just being, like, okay, we can, like, and, and like, figuring out that it's, like, oh, hey, we're both comfortable with just being jerks to <laughs> each other in, like, a fun yeah. way. Yeah,
2: it's great. I love it. <laughs> I think they said I th- we could have a hate-hate relationship or something like that. I'm like, that's my ship. That, if I if I did Tumblr ship tags for Discworld, that's the, sh- the ship tag. <laughs>
0: I feel like Morton is less sort of explicitly um, about a thing than Equal Rights was. I think it's much more of a character study. I'd love if if a button popped out for any of you, though.
1: I really like the concept of there is no justice. There is just me. Um, uh-huh. Is one of the first times we see this, but it's something that Harry does experiment with throughout the books of this Nate, this question of what's the nature of justice. Um, he, he experiments with, you know, what the heart of, you know, truth, justice and the British way is. And I feel like this book book is the first real spark of that. Um, and this idea that justice and fairness, etc., aren't, inherent tangible things but then this book has a beautiful moment where mort throws those words right back at death Mm. um the you know there is no justice there's just me and mort really shows that just because these things aren't tangible doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for them
0: yeah that's in fact the the line that that i think causes death a spare mort
2: mm-hmm. yeah I think there's always going to be some comparisons throughout this podcast to good omens just because that's kind of how we all got here <laughs> but at least in mm-hmm. terms of us all talking about this uh, but I think there's this sense of like just because that's how the world is set up doesn't mean it's right even if people are saying it's right you gotta think about it and what is actually right which I think is great
0: uh, and canonically, yes. the death in Good Omens is not the same as the death in Discworld.
2: It's the death of the Earth. Right. This yes. is the death of the Discworld.
1: And obviously, the, the death of the Discworld is going to be different from the death of the round world.
2: Yeah.
0: The boring round world.
2: Round world death has a posse.
0: And a motorcycle.
1: Let's be fair. If Discworld death had a motorcycle, he would be super into that.
3: My gosh, he would be, he would be that dead. He would have a sidecar for He's Isabel. like, yeah, I need to go commission <laughs> fair right now.
0: Or, Justin, close your ears. Are your ears closed?
2: <laughs> I don't think he can hear you.
0: Oh, okay. Rats? Oh, gosh. Death of? Yes. Sidecar for? Okay, now wave it at <laughs> uh, Justin.
2: You may have to... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, back. Welcome back. <laughs> Good timing on that. I, we were just it's getting like to the point of the stars so where I was like, I think we have to signal visually somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I I like actually waved. I don't know if you have my video up or not.
0: <laughs> what were some of the parts that you liked about the book, aside from all of the things that we've talked about already?
3: So probably, probably one of my favorite scenes from the book is like it's a throwaway one, but. God, I love drunk death.
4: Yes
3: <laughs> Like he's decided I consent I, I consent and make myself physically inebriated at will. And just it's so It's funny. very good.
2: <laughs> the poor landlord And then Where
3: he just decides like, yo, I'm gonna just drink everything
0: In a line, one by one.
2: Oh my god, yeah, and it's all the weird ones. I, that was delightful, like finding out I was like, what's the next one? What's the next one? <laughs> that,
0: that
1: description is so delightful.
3: There oh my gosh. There, there's a lot of like throwaway lines that are like particularly fantastic in this book, I think.
1: Oh, and I love the I love the ongoing piece that death doesn't have emotions the way that humans have emotions. Uh, because he doesn't have glands, mm-hmm. and that also <laughs> really ties into the idea of death and data operating in this sort of similar uh, literary space.
3: So, I was going to probably save this till later, but at least to me, this is this is something at least that that like really hits me. But it's like reading this book. I really identify with Death mm-hmm. as somebody who is at least slightly neurodivergent, as just like the the way he like there 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 is a point to where he is just or it's um there there's points where he's just like can I get context for this? Yeah, or yes. what is this? It's probably I don't think it's specifically a thing he's sort of just an outside he's an outsider character but it's just like yeah this is this is something that i like i can see a little bit of my of mm-hmm. reflection in yeah um on a less serious note though i have to cut, talk about one particular passage of this book oh um which i believe i have screamed at all of you about um which is in the middle of the book when um mort is returning to uh, Sto- uh, Stolot after saving Kelly and returning back. <sighs> Terry writes, it might be worth taking another look at Mort because he's changed a lot in the last few <laughs> chapters. Terry Pratchett, fucking, I will fight you in a seance. You do not have chapters, you <laughs> motherfucker.
2: You will fight Terry Come on at the me, equal? you
1: ghost. Oh, and speaking... Speaking of the drunk death scene as well, I pulled up the quote that just made me snicker and go, God damn it, Terry. Um, so it's the, the bartender is trying to get death out the door because it is very late. <laughs> and uh, so the bartender so sa- "So death says they all hate me, you know. The bartender says, "Yes, you said, but it's quarter to 3." The stranger turned unsteadily and looked around the silent room. "There's no one in the place but you and I," he said, which like goddammit, Terry getting that song lyric in there.
2: There okay, I had a moment like that too. It was not a song lyric. It was a Marlowe quote. <laughs> But uh, fucking when he sees Kelly, he's like, is this the face that launched a thousand ships and torched the topless towers of whatever fucking replacement he did yeah. for this world? And I'm like, in the middle of all my feelings, you have to bring a Faustus yeah. quote in here. I know it's a really common quote, but still, it just like activated my feelings even more, even though there was no reason for it to. <laughs>
1: yeah he he has great timing on that sort of thing. And somehow, with these little jokes that are thrown in at the heart of the action, they they don't detract, which I think is impressive. like sometimes it's it, you know, it feels like, oh, you're just trying to lighten the mood and it feels really fake. but somehow somehow he managed to. Somehow, make the serious scenes better by interjecting a little bit of humor.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, I think that he more explicitly talks about this weird cross pollination between Round World and disc world much later in the books, just sort of lampshading it a little bit. I feel like it's sort of a, like a Douglas Adams thing with, you know, the, like the particles of inspiration that sometimes hit a sparrow. Oh, wait, no, it isn't Douglas Adams. It, it, it's, it, it is in Discworld too. Okay, never mind.
3: Oh, there's another there's another line that particularly caught my caught my eye, which is about Ankhmar pork uh, which was uncmar Pork had dallied with many forms of government and had ended up with that form of democracy known as one man one vote. The patrician was the man he had the vote yes, <laughs> and I want to know more about
2: this <laughs> motherfucker.
0: You will
1: oh, Vetnari is so good,
2: it's finally starting to be our yeah. patrician,
0: yeah, I mean, sort of pulling back a little bit broadly again uh, the the thing that I think that Terry's settling on with in terms of style and looping it when with the you know observation changes things idea, it's like he takes a piece of Discworld, looks at it, throws it against a wall. And then puts it back together again. You know, sort of like um, I described it sort of as like literary kintsugi, the the Japanese art of um, repairing pottery with with gold so that it actually highlights the fractures as opposed to concealing them. Yeah. So it's repaired and the same shape but different. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think that also this book highlights why I think why like Color of Magic especially feels so jarring to go back to because death is a jackass there and Mm -hmm. after seeing this form of death going back to color of magic it's it really is disconcerting seeing how different a character death is even more so than all the other changes in the world
2: i think also it's like the city itself Ankh morpork which is kind of Oddly, one of the first characters I really came to love in Discworld is really starting to seem like Ankhmore park now. Like I even just like there were like at least two places that I was like, "Wait, I know this yeah. place." Hargus House of Ribs comes back.
4: <laughs>
2: yes! Yes! I immediately wiki'd it like, "Is this what I think it is? It is." <laughs> and the yes. dumb which, I guess, apparently the drum yeah. was in Color of Magic, but I didn't realize it was the same drum, <laughs> because it wasn't mended drum yet.
3: I super, I super love Ankh-Morpork here. It, it's like, like, in Color of Magic, that was my favorite part of it, and I'm like, there, there isn't as much, like, people being shitty to each other in funny ways, but I'm like, oh no, I just like the very, very, like, big city realness of it.
2: I, I think Ankh-Morpork is at its best when it's it's just clearly fantasy London, like stop trying to do this like exotic fantasy city. Just make it fantasy London. Oh yeah. I think that's also why color of magic. Mark work is still so weird to me because it's still got that different flavor that they're going that he's going for.
0: I literally could not pick a favorite part of the book for me because I just, I just like this entire book. But I'd love to hear what you it's pulled so out.
1: So good. For me, it really actually is the last scene. The the scene where Mort and Isabel confront death and, you know, yeah. throw his own words back at him of there, there is no justice, only me. And to tinker with the fate of one individual could destroy the whole world. And it's just so good where they death has sort of just been saying these phrases and you're forcing, they they force him to actually think about them. And I think it spurs death into having one of his first like really human moments of the whole series where he thinks critically and he makes a decision and Decides to consciously move forward in a way that changes the fabric of reality.
3: Yeah, that was definitely. I I loved that. Just like the the whole making that choice is just like earlier in that scene. It's it's mentioned. You know, there that uh, somebody says there are no choices.
2: Oh, that's not even earlier in that scene. That's the scene where Mort's becoming Death right. in yeah. role.
3: Okay, getting it mixed up and
2: and and like. As as soon as he becomes like fully death, he says, "There are no choices," and that's like the thing that like proves it really, like clinches it. Like this is now a different person, and this is how death is. This is death. Oh, and
1: that reminds me of something that we haven't talked and it's about like, yet, woof. which is the idea that Mort, as death, would be a far crueler death.
2: Yeah because he's he human. has
1: he has the humanity inside him and and we see that that mort as death has this almost like kind of vindictive streak to him.
0: Mhm. Yeah, death death isn't death isn't cruel or vindictive. He he's he's sort of almost caring because he doesn't know that there's another option.
2: I it's not even for me, it's not even that it's like he doesn't and this is again fully informed by good omens, but it feels like death doesn't have as much compassion i mean as as much capacity for either compassion or like vindictiveness uh-huh. that more has a lot more unpredictability because he has emotion he has glands,
1: those pesky glands you know
2: teenagers, but like okay, so my answer is also that whole fucking scene. But, like, just ah the whole thing. Okay, so, like, once Death is like, oh yeah, Kelly has to go, she's to die, and Mort is like, no, I'm making a stand. I'm going to fight you mano a mano as an equal because these are my friends. And, like, Death does not want Mort to lose. Nobody wants Mort to lose. Nobody wants Mort and Death to be fighting. Isabelle and Death don't want to be fighting each other. But they are, because this is what they're stuck with, and everything is spiraling out of control. And it's awful, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. And it's entirely because of, like, everything the book has been setting up for the whole book.
1: And and it really, the start of that scene is so good, too, because it starts out with Mort looking at his own hourglass and seeing that it's almost out of sand, Yep, and so uh-huh. you sort of know yeah, how it's uh, going to end, like... or you think you know how that fight's going to end.
2: Yeah, because the, the hourglasses, uh, when, they're, when somebody is about to die and be taken by death, their hourglass runs out. So you're like, oh, oh shit, now that he's committed to this fight, just now we find out that he's destined to die in it, I guess. And like... Then Death holds out that hourglass so Mort can watch the last grain of sand tick through it. And then he turns it over. Beautiful. Such a simple, such a simple thing that was there all. It's funny because earlier in the scene when they were all catching hourglasses, I'm like, what happens if you turn one over? There's two sides to an hourglass. (laughs) And then that happened. Here I was like, is that how you make a Benjamin Button in (laughs) Discord?
1: Well, and and, uh, later on in the epilogue, sort of, Mort asks Death whether, you know, whether he is only going to live another 16 years because, you know, he was 16 when Death turned over his hourglass and Death says, basically, question marks?
2: Eh. Fuck math. Who
3: knows? It's a mystery. Wobbly.
2: Time doesn't mean anything.
3: Yeah, because who know who knows how long like this book actually took it took place over.
1: Yeah, it's really not clear.
2: That's a good point. I don't know, but I think Mort was either fifteen or sixteen at the beginning, so less than a year, I would say.
3: Well, I'm just referring to like the fact that like time in Death's Realm is pretty.
2: Oh, fair,
3: fair. Yeah,
0: we don't know how long he was mucking out the stables, but
3: oh, uh, oh, that's also
0: right. um, yeah. Isabel didn't age; nobody ages in Death's Domain.
2: Yeah, I forgot about that for a second. Biology Jesus. still
0: works, but Jesus. you know,
2: oh, like the beginning could have been way earlier than like all the rest of this that's happening. Who knows?
0: Yeah, you know that's one of those places where Terry leaves again. That gap.
2: was a voice that says, "You might know." <laughs>
1: So what do people think has stood up particularly well to the test of time in this one?
3: I think the whole story is a, like, fantastically, like, it, it stands out. I've heard a number of people say that, like, oh, hey, this is their favorite book, and I can easily see why. Like, it's not even hard to imagine this being people's just straight-up favorite book in the series.
0: Yeah, it's well-paced, it's well-written, it's, it you know, it sharpens to a point and then give you a satisfying conclusion.
2: It has at least five major characters that I care about.
1: <laughs> I personally really like the piece of it that people go where they want to go or expect to go, not where they air quotes deserve. Um mm-hmm. it's it's a kind of it's a really quite refreshing take from the conventional portrayals of heaven and hell and there being this dichotomy. And I felt like, you know, within the disc world, it makes sense. But I feel like it's also kind of a nice and kind of comforting thing for our own universe. The idea that, you know, all these faiths can coexist because people go where where they think they will based on their own faith
2: yeah and like the fact that like multiple people when Mort shows up are like why don't you look like x different depiction of <laughs> death
3: and death de- and like and the response is shrug emoji yeah
2: yeah but I, I just imagine that like when actual death shows up he takes that oh. form you know
3: yeah I just assumed it was people, I just assumed it was people being, like, very, uh, very, like, judgmental and just being, like, well, obviously you're not death. We know that death is a crocodile.
2: Oh, well, yeah, yeah, but that's because Why am I being
1: shepherded into the afterlife by a teenager?
3: Fair.
2: Yeah. But, like, I just, I like the idea that, like, Death of the Discworld can show up in many forms if he wants to. It's actually
1: we talked a lot about good omens in this one, and how the the and how the death of good omens is different from the death of Discworld, except the cases where it isn't. So mm-hmm. the death that we see um, with the last scene with the courier really is actually pretty close to the death of Discworld, and. And the same notion applies there of, you know, where do I end up? You know, where do you think you do?
4: <laughs> right.
2: Well, I think there's just like a there's there's a there's a specific worldview, and it's that nobody's right or everybody's right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also makes sense in, con- in the context of there being nine hundred plus gods on. And, you know, if one of them is right, then the rest of them aren't right.
2: But also in the context of us living in a world where there's X number of actual mm-hmm. religions that are sincerely believed in, and then some of them that are really fighting over d- different beliefs. Oddly, something I find really, like, comfort foody about this is that nobody gets to be fully right uh, to the exclusion yeah. of others. Also, okay, for me, the thing that, is, that has stood up well, this is... Honestly, the best written romance that I've seen in Discworld so far, and that includes the ones I've read before this. And I think it's because Isabelle and Mort get time to just be fucking like friends and trust each other and shit like that.
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, I love it in the end of the book where they both are taking on the duty of death and they're just like, yeah, let's just do this.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah! And the fact
3: that they have to work together.
2: And, And like, There's certain points where, like, they're just kind of, like, clinging to each other, and it's really cute, just, like, when they're following Alfred around. And then, even, like, the moment with, um, where Isabelle has to, like, tackle Mort, it's just, it's cute, because it's, like, she's just, like, knocking, not, not that it's cute that she, like, has to punch him or whatever, but it's cute that she just is, like, trying to bring him back to a sense of himself. And that's, that's really what's cool about them, is they're both just, like they think each other are neat and they can trust each other. And they're, yeah. it's great.
1: Watching their relationship evolve is a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. and like just, just the, like the fact that they're like avoiding each other at first. And the fact that the moment that breaks that tension, they're just like immediately just like venting all of that tension by throwing insults at each other. It's the cutest. I don't know why it's the cutest, but it is. It might be that I'm in the Han Leia space lately. <laughs> It's good. They're good.
3: What's some stuff that hasn't aged particularly well?
2: So I had to read the audiobook again. Most of the time I like that the audiobook readers do voices, because like, they do a bunch of different British accents that add a lot of character. Don't always like that they do the voices when, for example, we go to the Agatean Empire and they're eating squishy, so... We're gonna do a racist Asian accent. Ouch. Yeah, I had to turn it off for a few minutes there.
1: <laughs> for me, I wasn't a fan of the snippets of fat shaming that we see here and there for both Isabel yeah. and Cutwell. Um it's not it's not huge, but it was pretty jarring. Uh the other thing, it's it's not a It's not a thing that's necessarily bad. It's more of a personal pet peeve. Um, We have that scene Mm -hmm. where um, there's a reference to kittens being harmed. And that scene is important in that we, we see death angry for the first time. And it does a really good job of humanizing him and showing that he cares. Um, but that's, that's a type of content that I personally find very upsetting in my media and, like, honestly Mm -hmm. skipped over because I knew it was going to be there and I didn't want to read it.
2: Yeah, I highlighted the one line that Death said about sometimes you just get upset and I, the rest I did not highlight at all. I was just like, we're going to forget that immediately.
3: Yeah. Something that, like, stood out to me a little bit. Is that there are, there's a couple instances where both Kelly and Isabel are sort of looked upon by characters. What I would probably call male geezy instances.
2: That moment with Cutwell. Yeah. Yeah. Isabel. And she's like undressing or whatever and he's like very clearly suppressing a boner. Also, what age is Kelly? I can't. I don't remember ever hearing her age, and I'm just kind of skewed out not knowing what the ages are, because, I don't know.
1: I felt like she was somewhere in the 16 to 18 range.
2: We're gonna, in my brain, she's 18, just to make me feel less weird about that. (laughs) Not that it's not weird in the first place, but...
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think both she and Cutwell were a bit older than the other two, but...
2: Yeah, Cutwell's 20. The
1: ages, I think... I'm, the, the ages are a little bit odd in this book because, you know, Isabel has been 16 for 35 years. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, God knows how long Mort has been in Death's realm. So, you know, pinning, pinning down the exact ages on everyone is yeah. a little bit tricky. I think my guess is that Kelly was about 18.
2: Yeah, I was initially reading Kelly as, like, more than Isabel's cohort, and that was kind of like...
0: uh... And also, some of that is, you know, this, like, this disregard of wizards because they're seen as asexual, basically. They're seen as furniture.
2: I don't even know if I'd say that they're seen as asexual. I would say that they're celibate. Right. Right. There's a there's a distinction. Fair enough. I don't know that I love the contention that swearing off sex makes you more powerful magically, and that not swearing off sex means you're going to be useless for magic. And I, well, in my headcanon, so, I like that that's untrue for Cutwell, and wizards are full of shit.
0: Well, as we're going to discover in the next book, there's a secondary reason for... Why they're it's it's almost a self it's a defense mythology.
2: Ah, I'm just saying that I like that they're already poking holes in that because that is that is some mm, well, not the, fun the, canon. There's <laughs> a
0: reason why they're they're making up reasons for wizards to not have sex.
2: Yeah, and I figured that there was something lost in translation because clearly there's been a lot lost in translation. Uh, if if seeing Albert with the wizards is anything.
3: So. So if they're trying to keep wizards from fucking... Yep. Does that mean sex wizards? Yes. <laughs>
2: Sorry. I'm... But you you know by the end, Cutwell... I guess they imply that Cutwell's do, not doing a lot of magic anymore, but he does do magic because he did the fireworks. So I think he's implied to both be having sex and doing magic. So.
1: <laughs> and I believe it was the Light Fantastic, which... Brought up the idea of like it's a matter of personal priorities that Rincewind like finally does actual magic and is like, you know, I I get why you know other wizards don't have sex because like this is way more of a rush.
2: Yeah, I think there's just something that rubs me wrong about the idea of like you don't have sex. There's so much brain space freed up.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll return to this in sorcery.
2: There's also
1: we also have to remember the classic folk song: "The wizard's staff has a knob on the end."
4: Mm.
1: <laughs> uh. You're welcome, everyone.
2: How did we get here? How did we get here? Why are we Gosh, discussing wizards? Actually,
3: <laughs> two hours <into> this.
2: <laughs> oh, it was the male gaze. Yeah, yeah, no, we've, I'm we've with hit you. the
1: wizard boner zone.
2: Mm-hmm. speaking uh, well, of thunders, little Terry hit it first
3: <laughs> which might be our best okay
0: presence. I'm setting the timer for 10 minutes
3: so
2: what wait wait it's time I thought we were doing is there anything you wish would have known yeah before?
3: and that's where I'm gonna bring up the thing that I oh where I call Terry Pratchett a coward All right, folks. All right, folks. All right, folks. I recognize that um, I am the newbie here. I have only read four books of this series. Um, That is less than 10%. I'm going to call Terry Pratchett a coward. The appropriate ending for Mort, while this is a fantastic one, the appropriate ending for Mort is with Mort, Isabel, Kylie, er, and (laughs) Cutwell making a polycule obviously. I mean,
1: how else are they going to that unite is you, the
3: cities? Absolutely. <laughs> just all four of them They're just so good. in a weird polyamorous happy relationship. I ask you, listeners, to search your feelings. You know this to be true.
1: <laughs> and and that ties back into the thing that I mentioned Right at the beginning of when we were talking, of that, you know, when when death expresses surprise that Mort doesn't end up with Kelly, Mort says this thing of like, we all sat down together and discussed it.
3: Yeah, they're just like, okay, okay, I'm just absolutely sure that the the, the thing is just like, okay, which marriages work the best on paper? Okay, whose home are we summering in?
2: Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry, but there needs to be thick of them, and it needs to have the tag polyamory negotiation <laughs>
3: uh, it is it is just how do you not come away from this book and fake that? I mean, like I'm pretty sure Cutwell is just up for anything. <laughs>
2: Okay, I just want to point out that I was not very far into this book when you mentioned it, and I kept looking and I kept finding. Uh, the first time that Mort mentions rescuing a princess, Isabel perks up. She is real excited about it. <laughs> okay,
3: okay. So, we obviously so, so they're obviously just like they're all chill. They're all okay, let's be real here. We did not go into this, but this book is pretty thirsty. It really is.
2: Uh-huh. It, I mean, literally has a wizard thinking about... I mean, he's not explicitly thinking about how he has a boner and he can't do magic now, but that's definitely what's happening. Yeah.
0: This he th- also takes Granny Weatherwax's Spanish fly at one point.
2: Oh, yeah, that was... yeah. Oh, that was him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. Um, or I'm just saying,
3: they're probably big into, like... like uh, uh, Isabel probably, like, has some really intricate roleplay scenarios.
2: <laughs> I am. I am sad to note that I can't find anything tagged Mort slash Isabel slash Cutwell slash Kelly. I,
3: I can't believe I'd say this, but I'm disappointed in Ao3. Also, I have to
1: say, now we know what the two of you must do. You must populate that tag.
4: Well,
1: yep. Yeah.
3: Mhm. Oh boy. Oh. Go forth.
0: I think my dad was going to listen to this podcast, but maybe
4: not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're, we're, I this think is. this is the longest we've had any of our discussions go. If anybody is still listening to this, you brave soul, you've found a gem. I feel like this is so going to be two episodes. <laughs>
2: people, or, So discography listeners, we are going to debut a new segment about a shipping corner. But the thing is, that's what ended up populating the what would you change section. If you like this, we'll do it again. Actually, we probably won't get reactions, so we'll probably just do it again.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly, the, the, the what would you change about this book will probably involve at least two more instances of me saying, listen, this is how you should have ended these relationships.
2: I still think we should just come up with a dumb relationship for each one if we don't have uh, a good yeah. one. I oh, don't know, just come
3: up come up with like if we don't have a perfect one, come up with the worst one.
2: Discworld rare pairs. I yeah. feel
1: like we also
2: And maybe need I'll to write it, who knows?
1: A running log of how many times Justin calls Terry a coward.
3: I hope never to do it yes. again. <laughs> I have called the- I however have called him during this recording a motherfucker and a coward.
2: You didn't actually explain we you gotta we never came back to why he's a motherfucker for mentioning chapters. Oh, because Discworld has no
3: chapters. <laughs> he's like, Oh, we yeah. haven't checked it we haven't described more than a few chapters and I'm like, You you dick
2: There weren't chapters. I literally okay, when I had the audiobook, I'm like, Maybe I can skip ahead, it'll have like broken it up into subsections. No. no it was just Mort. <laughs> it's just mort beginning <laughs> i opened end. up chapters and all it had was mort
3: <laughs> it's a style
0: choice.
2: thanks helpful as always oh cutwell doesn't even have a tag oh
3: that's sad
2: damn that's sad cutwell buddy the horniest character in this book wow damn there might be there might be fic elsewhere, who knows? It's an old phantom, and AO3 is more. Yeah, lore.
3: no, yeah. I, I imagine that there oh is some dirty shit I could find a, on an on auto-ease group. Oh, boy.
1: So this was one of the first books that also had, like, fun references to other pieces of Discworld. Most notably, that we, we see our trash boy, Rincewind, again.
3: I want to say that I just really appreciate... Rincewind's commitment to just danger aversion.
1: He's been through some shit.
3: And just covering his ass. He like The only thing he has going for him is his survival instinct. Uh, which includes suggesting that they, uh, when uh, God, uh, Alberto turns himself back into a statue of, let us politely lock him away and throw away the key.
1: <laughs> and brick up the hole. And my throw th- away the brick layer. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. That's no, going a little far.
2: Can I just say my very favorite thing about Rincewind showing up? Let me find it. I need to find the actual quote. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and tell me where death is. Death, sir, said Rincewind, backing against the wall. Tall, skeletal, blue eyes, stalks, talks like this. Death, seen him lately? Rincewind swallowed. Not lately, sir? (laughs) Not lately! (laughs) He's met Death at least twice. He went to Death's house.
1: He and Death have a pre-existing relationship.
2: I just love that the random peon that Alfred grabs to ask about Death is somebody who's actually been in Death's house and that Alfred could have met and didn't. I, <laughs> I, I guess.
3: God, yeah. No, they've been in the same room. To, or they've been like in adjacent rooms. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Rincewind is eminently unmemorable.
2: Fair. It's just very funny to yeah. me. There's traumatic irony there.
1: So what else? What else do we think is important to talk about here?
2: oh i actually put something here (laughs) i think it's just really neat how how much like the character's self-concept plays into this and we haven't really brought it up but like throughout the book there's like a running joke of like people calling mort like boy or lad and he's just like mort call me mort that's my name and like in that final confrontation with death he's like mort (laughs) and he like starts when he he starts fighting death and earnest he's like if I'm going to die I'm at least gonna die with my real name also and then you know at the end <laughs> isn't his his formal name isn't even Mort he's still Hellie now
3: yep I I, I mean That's I do right. think it's important like especially with what he says you know call me Mort as he is becoming more of death well okay we have to point out at some point here that Mort is death. <laughs>
4: Uh, well yeah i'm
3: sorry we have to to put this into the ether just to make sure that like this is yeah i mean
2: it's the very obvious dramatic irony and it's completely (laughs) lampshaded yeah like i think there's even a point where yeah where he says like i am mort when when they're like asking if he's death or something like that
1: so do we want to do ratings yeah yeah
0: unless you want to talk about shipping some more
3: i i think we got our shipping out of the way um
2: okay we got our shipping out of the way uh but we need to keep a corner i don't know if it's going to be called justin and minna's shipping corner but it's going to just exist yeah. sorry
4: <laughs> that's
0: fair look you knew you do what you need to do to stay happy
3: minna how did you and me become the chaos muppets here we're the well, newbies uh, I mean, yeah i mean it's just really okay ca- like it's okay it's freeing i'm i'm a very order muppet person <laughs>
2: Okay, but also, it's specifically about shipping, Fair. and both of us have a fairly strong brand with shipping. Yeah, I think. But also, I think Discworld is a really right place for this, because there's just so many goddamn characters. It's perfect for like somebody who just wants to like take random characters and smash them together, which is something I enjoy.
3: Yeah, um, I'm just gonna give this two big skeletal thumbs up.
1: I would give it nine out of 10 pints of scumble.
0: Oh, you don't want to have Ugh. those in pints.
2: Ugh.
0: <laughs> um, I give it eleven out of eleven nodes on the death chart.
2: I give it eighty-eight thousand eight hundred eighty-seven out of eighty-eight thousand eight hundred eighty-eight grains of sand in the bottom of the hourglass, right before I flip it over to prolong things.
3: <laughs> so, can we can we can we do our um, end of thing where we talk about? What we're going to be doing next, where I read the back cover of Sorcery.
1: Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh, that's a good
3: bit. Yeah, let's let's do this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the uh, website that ha- that shares the name of a river. We'll just go with that. Um, and if you have things that you want me to guess, <laughs> um, please please let me know.
2: I have the ongoing thing that I have to have you guess. So,
3: <clears throat> The the fifth book in our series, so we will um, presently uh, with with tonight, uh, we are nine point seven percent of the way through Discworld. Oh, For book no. five, uh, Sorcery, a hilarious mix of magic, mayhem, and luggage. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fifth
4: book in Cherry series. <laughs> <that is yours. laughs>
2: What, sorry, what did you say? Is the
3: fifth book in Terry Pratchett's cla- classic fantasy series. Ritzwind, the legendarily inept wizard, has returned after falling off the edge of the world. And this time, he's brought the luggage. But that's not all. Once upon a time, there was an eighth son of an eighth son, who was, of course, <gasps> a wizard. And if that wasn't complicated enough, said wizard then had seven sons. And then he had an eighth son. A wizard squared. That's all the math, really. Who, of course, was a source of magic. A sorcerer. Will the sorcerers lead the wizards to dominate all of this world? Or can Rincewind's tiny band stave off the apocalypse? Okay. I feel like I need a cigarette after reading that. (laughs) So, anyways. um...
0: Speaking of wizards and sex, now you see why they have Made up rules.
3: Okay, okay. So we've got we've got sorcerers here. I am going to guess that there is an evil sorcerer who is going to um, try to shape things up with the wizards, a la Alberto, um, and that you know the luggage is going to have to eat him.
2: Can I just point out that sorcerer is almost certainly S O U R S E R, whatever goes there, R.
3: <laughs> yeah. So it's source. Uh,
4: yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a bad pun. It's it. But I don't think anybody is going to make Terry Pratchett feel bad I, about gonna it. I'm going to
3: respect Terry's hustle there. It's it's
1: Sir Terry.
2: Justin, I have a question yes. for you. What do you think Mrs. Palm's first name is? You've guessed Harry.
3: It's uh, a good pun name I can think of here. I can't think of one off the top of my head.
2: Okay, that's fine.
3: <laughs> Rosie. There we go. Rosie. We shall see.
2: I will add it to the guest Stay list. Stay tuned.
0: Well, that was a silly episode.
3: <laughs> Until next time, where uh-huh. I geek out over slightly anthropomorphized luggage. Sapient Pearwood.
0: Avatar of Rage.
3: I, I, I fucking love that fucking treasure chest.
0: The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the fair use doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music for this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. The intro music is Take a Chance. The outro is Fuzzball Parade. Both are by Kevin MacLeod and both are used under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution license. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show on Twitter at atuinpod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com